Star Wars is back with the new series Andor on Disney+, and I've got my thoughts on the first few episodes right now. This review is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. Visit athleticgreens.com slash Dan for a special offer and stay tuned after the review for more info. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my review for the first four episodes of Andor. This will not be a spoiler review, so I'm not going to go into specific plot points. These are just my general feelings on the show. However, I will be talking about the characters that are in the show, some of the settings, things that are available through marketing materials. But if you want to go in completely fresh, then there will be some information in this review. The first three Andor episodes are from director Toby Haynes, a veteran TV director who's done several Matt Smith Doctor Who episodes, one of the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock's, and the USS Callister episode of Black Mirror. And Toby Haynes in these first three episodes, and I'm sure that the directors and directors of photography for the remaining episodes, do a great job of bringing a real aesthetic to this show. This looks like a movie. It was shot on location. It wasn't all shot on a soundstage. And the stuff that was shot in a soundstage or on the volume, doesn't look like it was shot on a soundstage or on the volume. This is one of the most real looking shows, if not the most real, that we've gotten on Disney Plus and in the Star Wars universe so far, and I love the look of it. The first three episodes were also written by Tony Gilroy, who's the credited writer on Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and is the creator of the series. Just in case you're not aware, Andor is a prequel series to Rogue One, a Star Wars story starring Diego Luna, and the first episode kicks off 5 BBY, which is what it says on screen. For those uninitiated, that would be five years before the Battle of Yavin, which would be the destruction of the first Death Star. And when you look at the first three episodes, I actually don't know why they're split into episodes at all, because the breaks between them seem to be completely at random. It'd be like if you took a movie and then just stuck in credits every 30 to 40 minutes. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. I'm not really sure if it's because Disney wanted a higher episode count because they thought that it added more value, but I really do think that the first three episodes of Andor should have been presented as one 100-minute basically TV movie because that's essentially what it is with random credit breaks in between. Luckily, because these three episodes are all premiering on the same night, and it kind of makes sense now why Disney Plus is doing a three-episode premiere, it doesn't arrest the narrative momentum yet. But if you are sitting down to watch Andor, I would recommend clearing off a couple of hours so that you can watch the first three episodes together, because that really is how I think they should be seen to get the full impact of the story. One thing Andor does is allow us to dive deeper into the inner workings of the Empire, and the heavies, the bad guys early on in this show, are not Imperial officers. You don't really get a whiff of the Empire until episode four, but I actually liked how they set it up because we're instead introduced to Corpos, which are corporate security officers. They're basically a private police force that the Empire has ceded peacekeeping duties because they're so overextended around the galaxy. And the Corpos are after Cassian due to an incident that happens on one of their planets. From the very first frames, Andor is a dirtier, a grimier show than we've seen in Star Wars. I'm not talking about the kind of sandy dirt that we've seen in so many other Star Wars movies and TV shows. I mean dirty in an underworld kind of way, full of back alley dealings and false friends. The style of this movie is much closer to Ridley Scott's original Blade Runner. 
than George Lucas's shiny fantasy world. And all of it comes with a great underscore from composer Nicholas Bertel. I was shocked when I saw that he had done the music for this series, only because he is such a fantastic composer. And the music that he's made for this Star Wars series is some of the best Star Wars music I've heard, and we're only four episodes in. Cassian himself is a man without a true home. Details are being parceled out about his background over every episode. I'm not quite sure yet how he could have been in the fight against the Empire since he was six years old, as he's claimed in Rogue One, but they haven't directly contradicted that. That's more of a mystery for me to see how they're going to explain that comment in the previous movie. Still, though, Diego Luna carries over the essence of Cassian from Rogue One, but without the haunted quality of the veteran insurgent that we saw in that movie. To steal from the Empire? What do you need? A uniform, some dirty hands, and an Imperial toolkit? <laughs> They're so proud of themselves, they don't even care. Here, Cassian is a scrapper. He's one step ahead of whoever's chasing him, and he is searching the galaxy for connections to his past. Fiona Shaw is a nice addition to the cast as Cassian's mother, Marva, and Marva is just part of the picture that forms Cassian's past, his lack of belonging, and a very Jin Erso-type skepticism about the burgeoning rebellion that ironically brings him even closer into the fold. The Corpos are led by Deputy Inspector Karn, an idealist with something to prove, but without the ability to inspire confidence in his men. Karn is less Ben Mendelsohn in Rogue One so far, and more the guy on the Star Destroyer who gets choked by Darth Vader. Kyle Soler plays Karn as a cross between Kyle MacLachlan's Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, I think maybe because there's a physical resemblance there, and Jude Law's Gigolo Joe from AI. He's just not quite able to connect on a human level. His past so far opens up some very intriguing possibilities for character growth. I don't know yet if we're seeing the progression of a new villain or something else, but I like it. Cassian's home base of Ferrix is also home to many friends, including the parts trader Bix, who also has underworld contacts, played by Adria Arjona. She's an actress that's always been solid in so many movies and TV shows that don't always rise up to the level of her performance, and I'm hoping that maybe this might be a true breakout role for her. There's also Cassian's droid B2EMO, or B2EMO, I'm not really quite sure how it's pronounced. I don't know how they keep inventing adorable droid characters, but B, as he's known, instantly jumps up the list with some of the best Star Wars droids. Ferex is also an interesting new world to explore. It's mainly devoted to corporate servitude. It's a company planet. Even the chiming of the town clocks are a product of hard labor, and the banding together of the workers on Ferex provides an early glimpse into the first flames of rebellion in the galaxy. Ferex is also where Cassian meets Stellan Skarsgård's Luthen, who along with Diego Luna, I think is the standout of the series so far. We see one side of Luthen early, really in these first three episodes, and then as we go into the fourth, really the start of the next narrative arc for this season, Skarsgård shows you a completely different side to this character. You understand this double life that he's been leading, and it's such a great turn for him. I don't know if many people understand just how strong an actor Stellan Skarsgård is, but he is great in this show. Luthen is Cassian's entry into the Rebellion, which isn't even really known as a Rebellion yet, and he brings a lot to the role of the crusty veteran who brings a fresh face to the cause. Alec Guinness would be proud. George Lucas may very well be proud of the show as well, because even though part of it is set in the grimy underworld, all of the space stuff has the very lo-fi, tactile aesthetic that he brought to the original trilogy. Even the CG ships look like models in line with the original Star Wars films, and one action sequence involving large chains and big reels that are dropping from the ground. I don't know if it's mostly practical or mostly CGI. I couldn't really tell, which means that it's well done. It is really funny, though, that over the course of 25 years, we 
we've gone from George Lucas trying to scrub the lo-fi aesthetic out of the Star Wars franchise to shows like Andor bringing that aesthetic back into the series. The fourth episode of the show feels like the first 40 minutes of a new chapter, so it's hard for me to really judge where the story is going from here. We do start to dig into things on the Imperial front. We get a reintroduction to Mon Mothma. Genevieve O'Reilly is returning to play the character, and the seeds that are planted are really intriguing. I could see this part of the show developing into a fascinating look at both the everyday mundane nature of running a galactic empire and the struggles of those remaining in the Imperial Senate, a democratic institution struggling to survive in the face of the Empire's autocratic nature. Overall so far, Mandor goes up there with me with the first season of The Mandalorian as a Star Wars show that is able to immediately establish what kind of show it is, immediately establish the characters, get you interested in those characters. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like a Star Wars show. It feels like a drama that features Star Wars characters, very akin to a lot of Rogue One. I'm sure that we're going to get more into the familiar stuff like TIE fighter battles and action sequences in space, but this stuff is also really compelling. And unlike a lot of Disney Plus shows recently, to be honest, I will actually be tuning into Andor unless there's some kind of a huge drop-off because I'm really invested in this story. I want to see what happens to these characters, both the new ones and the old ones, and there are some returning characters that haven't even come into the show yet. And I will probably be staying up late week to week to see it when it drops, not out of obligation to the franchise, but because I legitimately want to see what comes next. My biggest criticism would be that if these next episodes are anything like the first three, this is probably going to be a very frustrating week to week watch because the breaks are so inconsistent. The episodes don't crescendo like a normal TV episode does, but I don't think that that's the show's fault necessarily. I really just feel like for whatever reason, Disney felt like they had to put out that it was 12 episodes instead of like four 90 to 100 minute movies. It's really just a complaint about the packaging of the show though, and if the quality of the writing, the directing, the acting, the visuals, and everything that I've seen so far remains constant, then in the long run, it's going to be a very small complaint about a very good show. Before we wrap up, I want to thank my sponsor for today's video, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because I'm putting a focus this year on my own health and particularly my gut health. It's been something I've been working on since the beginning of the year, and AG1 has been a big step in that process. And taking AG1 is super simple. I can either put a scoop right into a cup of water, I can make a shake at home for breakfast. Either way, it is a quick and tasty way for me to start the day off right and make sure that I'm supporting not only my gut health, but my immune system, my recovery, my focus, and so much more. AG1 is lifestyle friendly and contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs or artificial anything. If you don't take a multivitamin or you've been trying to figure out which one to take, AG1 is also a great choice because it's full of high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Athletic Greens also cares about the world around them and for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the US. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition and to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Dan. Again, that's athleticgreens.com Dan, D-A-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thanks to Athletic Greens for sponsoring the show, and thank you for watching. I'll be back very soon with more movie news reviews and so much more. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.